what you have to say and how you say it are two important elements of communication. And this is something that we need to pay attention to when we're reading the Bible. Because what we have in the Bible is a written word, the written word. And how we perceive, how we receive the message can also depend on how we understand the medium that the biblical authors are using in their time. Hi everyone, welcome to Not So Secular. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a Catholic lay missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. I'd like to start this off by greeting you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is the start of something new, sabi nga ng High School Musical. And I am excited. I'm looking forward to all of the ways that God will be moving in our lives this year, 2023, in my life and in yours. And I am also looking forward to all of the ways that He will be inviting us to partner with Him in all of these different areas of our lives, whether those are explicitly church-related, ministry-related, or even if it's not, you know, it might be something to do with your work, it might be something to do with your family or with your circle of friends, your spaces, and all of that. And part of my hope is that in some of these areas, in some of these aspects, that we could share it together in this little connection that we have through the podcast. I understand that I haven't met a good number of you and maybe you haven't met me yet in person and this show is what we have in common but just because we haven't met each other yet doesn't mean that we can't pray for one another and that is what I will be doing for you I will be praying for you and I ask that you pray for me as well that would be very much appreciated I would very much love that and so for today I figured that we could start this year by talking about discussing something called design patterns when reading the Bible. You see, during this time, January, is a time for new beginnings. It's a time for new habits, new perspectives. A lot of us start things during this time because the year has just began. Kaya sakto. And for some of us, Filipino Catholics and Filipino Christians, a part of that might be to start reading the Bible, start reading the Word of God. And it is something that a lot of people have attempted in different ways. I remember before, one of the ways that it was encouraged to us is to start reading the New Testament. So starting from Matthew all the way to Revelation. And another way that it has been attempted is to read the Bible from the very beginning, Genesis. And whenever this comes up, yung mga... Bible in a year reading plan, there is this common joke in turn circles when the year ends that most of the people who started doing that kind of dropped off in Leviticus, which is the third book in all of the 73 books of the Bible. Okay, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and my hope is to help you if you are that person who wants to read more of the Bible or maybe you haven't considered it yet and maybe listening to this might help you think about it if that is something that you would like to start doing this year I very much recommend that and I hope that this would be helpful this discussion that we are going to have for today about design patterns these are patterns that we find when we read 
the Bible. Patterns in terms of character, patterns in terms of story, pattern in terms of events, how it happens, where it happens, and even when it happens. One of the things that we see when reading the Bible is that the biblical authors make use of these parallels, of these patterns in order to tell their story. One of the important things to learn about communication is that there are these two interrelated elements when it comes to communication, whether you're speaking or whether you're giving a speech or in conversation with someone. There are these two interrelated elements. The first element is this, your message. What is it that you're trying to say? That is your message. What do you want to impart to the other person? What do you want the other person to receive from you? That is your message. The other element that is connected to your message is your medium. And that is how you say something. Because how you say something matters as well. And in fact, what you say or what you have to say, your message, sometimes is even affected by how you say it. Sometimes we can say the same words, but depending on how we say it, it changes how it is perceived, how it is received by someone that we're talking to. That's why intonation matters. That's why our voice matters when we are in conversation. Minsan, hindi naman natin tinatry maging masungit, pero parang masungit tayo because the way that we say things is para siyang masungit. And this is also part of the reason why people misinterpret each other when we're just talking in text message. Diba? This is the reason why some people find it awkward to just end the text message in the last sentence. What they do is they add ha-ha or they add an emoji or they add something else, XD, kung makaluma ka. But these are the things that we use to try to incorporate a bit of the medium into the written format of the text message because the medium is also important and it is just as important as the message. So what you have to say and how you say it are two important elements of communication. And this is something that we need to pay attention to when we're reading the Bible. Because what we have in the Bible is a written word, the written word. And how we perceive, how we receive the message can also depend on how we understand the medium that the biblical authors are using in their time. You see, the Bible was written in ancient times, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, even more if you count the time when it wasn't written yet and the stories were just being told from one generation to another, being sung in songs as they were traveling from one place to another. This is an ancient text. And if sometimes we can find it difficult to read some of our older books like Florante at Laura or Noli Metangere or some of the older books that we have because the, the Filipino is too old and uh, the choice of words are not, uh, are not the type of words that we use today, what more a book that was written 2,000, 3,000 years ago, even more, that was written in a completely different language than the one that we use today? And so, noticing these patterns, noticing these parallels, which is one of the tools that the biblical authors made use of in order to communicate their message. This is part of their medium in order to communicate their message. Learning more about this can help us appreciate better what the Bible has to say and what the Holy Spirit ultimately is revealing to us is 
telling us through the written word of God. And so, let's talk about it. In August of last year, we did this event. It's like a small conference for some of the leaders of our community, the feast, here in this region at least, in the Mega Manila region. We called it the Bible Lab. And um, me, as part of a group of researchers who help work on the talks that we give at the feast, at our community, we organized this and we put this together and we gave inputs, we gave lessons and teachings and we organized discussions so that we could converse with one another, even with, with our leaders and so on, in order to help um, us, one another, better appreciate and better engage with the Bible. And for that mini conference, for that lab, I was tasked to give two of the talks. And I want to share with you a bit of the parts of, of the second talk that I gave. Because the second talk that I gave is all about this, design patterns. And I keep on using that term. So let's address that first. What is a design pattern? The term design pattern is coined by John Collins from Bible Project. And it is his way of pointing out these parallels, a word that I also mentioned a while ago, these parallels that occur in these different stories that we find in the Bible. I think for a lot of us, we are at least somewhat familiar with the individual stories that happen in the Bible. We've heard of David and Goliath. We've heard of Moses splitting the sea in order for the Israelites to come out of Egypt. We have heard of Jesus raising Lazarus. We have heard of him breaking the bread and feeding the 5,000. And we can be familiar with these individual stories separately because that oftentimes that's how we hear them or that's how we read of them. But these different stories are actually interconnected in order to form a larger universe, if you want to use that language for today. A larger story, a larger narrative that is being told from beginning all the way until the end. And design patterns, these parallels, commonalities that we find in all of these different individual stories are on purpose. The biblical authors make use of common words, common language, common themes, repeated um, series of events when, when they're portraying different, even completely different things that are happening with different people. They make use of these common elements in order to, for us, in our minds, to connect one story to another. Think of it as something like a Wikipedia page. When you open Wikipedia, you have the text in itself describing the, the subject that you've looked up. But along that, you find hyperlinks. You find links like different words in blue that you could click that would link to another page that talks about that thing or talks about a related thing. And the Bible being written in an ancient um, scroll or ancient set of scrolls in an ancient manner, it did not have the hyperlinks that we have today that we could just click. Instead, the way that it uses hyperlinks as a manner of speaking is by using repeated words, repeated themes, repeated um, series of events in order for us to connect one thing that is happening in the story with another story or another passage or another text that we find elsewhere. Sige, 
let's dive deeper and take a look at examples so that we could appreciate this better. But before we take a look at examples from the Bible, I want us to take a look at examples from media. And the example that I used in the Bible lab that we gave to uh, to some of our builders and leaders is an example from Star Wars. You see, I, ako, I am a big Star Wars fan. At least the George Lucas Star Wars. Now, the Disney Star Wars, mm, not so much. I mean, there are some good elements to it, but I appreciate the George Lucas Star Wars more. The original trilogy and the prequels. And I understand that for the people who didn't watch, uh, who watched the original trilogy, maybe they didn't like the prequels that much. And maybe ako na yung nandun sa ganong generation ngayon because I liked the prequels. I don't like the sequels that much. But if you are familiar with Star Wars, you might appreciate this. If not, please bear with me. I promise you that this will pay off. And so the original um, George Lucas Star Wars comes with three sets of movies each. The original trilogy is episodes 4, 5, 6, following the story of Luke Skywalker. And the prequel trilogy is episodes 1, 2, 3, following the story of Anakin Skywalker, the father of Luke Skywalker, who eventually turns into Darth Vader, whom you might know. And what's interesting about this, these original Star Wars stories is that George Lucas actually was very intentional in the way that he wrote the stories of episodes 4, 5, 6, and 1, 2, 3. In fact, he made it intentional that it would rhyme with each other, that it would be parallel to each other. What would happen in 4, 5, 6 is parallel to what happens in episodes 1, 2, and three, and then that with Anakin, you know, kind of duplicating the Luke Skywalker role, but you see the echo of where it all is going to go. And instead of destroying the Death Star, he destroys the ship that controls the robots. Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme, mm -hmm. every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. Hopefully, it'll work. And one way for us to take notice of this is to kumbaga ilapat natin right let's match up 4 5 6 with 1 2 3 4 to 1 5 to 2 and 6 to 3 and these are some of the parallels that i've found in my research i also found this from someone else as long as the ones that i've added in uh, when i was giving this this portion of the bible lab and so episode 4 and episode 1 episode 4 is a new hope we are introduced to Luke Skywalker. Episode 1 is The Phantom Menace. We are introduced to Anakin Skywalker. And there we find the first parallel. Episode 4 and Episode 1, both Luke and Anakin live on Tatooine. And they had to leave Tatooine behind in order to be trained by a master. On Episode 4, Luke was to be trained by Obi-Wan. And on Episode 1, Anakin was to be trained by Qui-Gon Jinn. And then that links to the second parallel that we find. So first parallel, they both come from Tatooine and they had to leave Tatooine in order to, to progress their journey. Second parallel is in episode 4, the master, Obi-Wan, was killed in front of Luke in front of his apprentice. That's what happens in, in the middle of episode 4 even, not even the ending. And in episode 1, what we find is that Qui-Gon Jinn was also killed in battle in front of his student, 
which was at the time it was Obi Wan. Okay, in case I'm losing some of you, um, so both those masters were killed in front of their students. Obi Wan was killed in front of Luke. Qui Gon Jinn was killed in front of Obi Wan. That is another parallel that we find in episodes four and one, right? Another parallel that we find both films, okay, um, as part of its climax. The, the Skywalkers, Luke and Anakin, goes out to this space battle where they're riding a, a spaceship in order to destroy an enemy space station, right? In episode 4, it was the Death Star. In episode 1, it was the control center of the droids. So Luke destroyed the Death Star while riding on a spaceship. Anakin destroyed the command center of the droids while riding on a spaceship. Another parallel. And then the last parallel for episodes 4 and 1 is that at the ending of episode 4 and the ending of episode 1, there is this big celebration sequence where they are just happy about what they have achieved. Death Star has been destroyed. Naboo was saved. And then everyone is triumphant, celebrating, giving awards to each other. That is what we find as parallels, at least the ones that I could mention right now, between episode 4 and episode 1 of Star Wars. Are you with me? I hope you are. Okay, episode 5 naman and episode 2. Episode 5 also matches with episode 2 in a similar manner that episode 4 matches with episode 1. And in episode 5 and episode 2, one parallel is that, so you have friends, right? In episode 5, the friends are Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. In episode 2, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. So they're both two guy friends. But here, in episode 5 and in episode 2, they get separated from each other. So Han is separated from Luke, Obi-Wan is separated from Anakin, and one of them explores a love interest. Han Solo explores his love interest, Leia, and Anakin Skywalker explores his love interest, which is Padme. And so the two guys get separated and one of those guys explore a love interest. One of the parallels, again, with episode 5 and episode 2. There are others, but I'm gonna stick with 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 just two Muna for this one. So at the end of the at the end of the movie, both Luke and Anakin gets their arm chopped off by the enemy. So Luke gets his arm chopped off by Darth Vader, and then um, Anakin gets his arm chopped off by Count Dooku, and then they had to get a replacement robotic arm. It both happens on Episode Five and on Episode Two. These are just things that we find in, on episode 5 and 2. We don't find it in 6 and 4, in 1 and in 3. 5 and 2. 4 and 1 match together. 5 and 2 match together. And finally, we get to episodes 3 and 6. The finale of both trilogies. And in both trilogies, these are the parallels that we find. In both trilogies, this is where the Emperor makes his first real appearance. So the, the villain is the same. It's the Sith Lord, Darth Sidious, right? The one in the hood. And this is where he makes his first appearance. Of course, he appears on episode one, but just not really explored that much. But in episode six, he was finally revealed in front of Luke Skywalker, our main protagonist. And in episode three, he is finally his identity is finally revealed in front of Anakin Skywalker, our protagonist. And so in both trilogies, it's not until the last movie when the big bad gets revealed. In both cases, it's the Emperor. Another parallel that we find in episodes 6 and 3. So Luke 
and in the throne room, Luke and Darth Vader battle together as the Emperor watches and um, judges over the battle and tries to win over Luke to the dark side. That, that's what happens at the end of episode 6. At the beginning of episode 3, you have the Emperor sitting down again in this, in this spaceship, and then you have Count Dooku, the, the Sith Lord, and Anakin battle together in front of the Emperor. In the same way that Luke and Vader were battling in front of the Emperor, Anakin and Count Dooku were battling in front of the Emperor. And the Emperor wanted to win over Anakin to the dark side. It's the, it's the exact same thing that is happening at the beginning of episode 3 and at the end of episode 6. What are the odds that this has happened, right? Another parallel. In episode 6, we are introduced to the Ewoks, the small bear creatures, and they fight in their home territory. They fight the clones there. And in episode 3, we are introduced to big bears, the Wookiees. So, uh... They also fight in their own home planet, in their own home territory, and they engage there. In episode 6, Darth Vader removes his mask for the first time as he looks at Luke with his own eyes. In episode 3, Darth Vader receives his mask for the first time as he fully embraces the dark side. And to top it all off, both episode 6 and episode 3, end with a funeral. If episode 4 and episode 1 ended with a grand celebration, episode 6 and episode 3 ended with a funeral. Again, it's like poetry. It's sort of they rhyme. Mm -hmm. Every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. Hopefully it'll work. These are parallels that we find in George Lucas's writing of Star Wars that we don't find anymore in the new Star Wars, which is probably why I don't like it that much. <laughs> anyway, that's not the topic. But these parallels were intentionally written by George Lucas in order to connect the events that are happening in 4, 5, 6 and in 1, 2, 3. There are similarities. There are parallels between the stories of Luke and Anakin. Both Skywalkers, both go on this, this, this journey. It's just that one, it's the hero's journey, and the other, it's the villain's journey. One is the path to the light side, and the other is the path to the dark side. And this is what we find in those two Star Wars trilogies. But why am I saying this? Why am I sharing this whole load of Star Wars exposition and the discussion? It's because I think it helps us understand how design patterns work in the Bible. So here now is an example from the Bible. So let's take a look at the first few pages in Genesis, the creation story. So we know that the creation story follows a certain rhythm, right? There's day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, and then on the seventh day, God rests. What People don't notice um, sometimes when we're just, you know, when we're just reading our Bibles as is. What I haven't noticed for a very long time when I was reading my Bible is that there is actually a pattern that the author uses when he is writing this narrative of the creation. You see, so day seven is the rest day, but days one, two, three match up with days four, five, six. In the same way that episodes 4, 5, 6 of Star Wars matches up with episodes 1, 2, 3. What do I mean by that? Okay, 
imagine this for a bit. One, two, three, and four, five, six. Six days of creation. One matches with four, five matches with two, and six matches with three. First one, God creates light. That is what happens on day one. What happens on day four? God fills the heavens with the sources of light. God fills the heavens with the moon and the sun and the stars and the planets, the sources of light. Day one, God creates light. Day four, God fills the skies with the sources of light. Let's move. Day two, God separates the waters and creates the sea and creates the skies. What happens in day five? God fills the seas and fills the skies. He creates the fish first and then the, the, the flying animals, the birds in the sky. Right? And, uh, and all of these other animals that we find. He fills the seas and the sky. So day two, seas and the skies were created. Day five, seas and the skies were filled. And then we get to day three and day six. What happens in day three? The dry land is drawn from the seas. And that is what happens. God creates the dry land in day three. In day six, God fills the dry land. Only then does God create the land animals and later on, he creates the humans. Do you see the parallel? Day one, God creates light. Day two, God fills the sky with the sources of light. Day two, God creates the seas and the skies. Day five, God fills the seas and the skies with the creatures and the animals that we find there. Day three, God creates the dry land. And day six, God fills the dry land with the land animals and the humans. This is a parallel that we find in creation. Um, one, two, three, and four, five, six. And on the seventh day, God rests. And it, this is intentional. This is part of how the biblical authors write. So some of these parallels can be noticed when you look at events. Some of these parallels you will notice if you take a look at the repeated words. So again, let's stick to the Genesis story, the creation narrative. What is the word that is repeated over and over. If you have a Bible with you or if you could open it in your app, you could pause this for a while and then try to look at what is repeated over and over. Here it is. What we find over and over in Genesis chapter 1 is the word good. Is the word good. This is all in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 4, God saw that the light was good. In verse 10, God saw that the dry land was good. In verse 12, God saw that the vegetation was good. In verse 18, God saw that the lights were good, the planets, the stars, and the moon. And in, God, in verse 21, God saw that the sea life, the sea creatures, was good. In verse 25, God saw that the land creatures was good. And then on verse 31, to top it all off, God saw all that he had made right after he had created human beings because those were the last. We were the last. And look, it was very good. So you have six repetitions of good and then it ends with very good. And this is part of how the biblical authors would emphasize things that they want to emphasize. What's another example of that? emphasis. We see it in the chapter that follows. So in chapter 1, we have six repetitions of good and one very good. But when you get to Genesis chapter 2, there is one thing that God points out as not being good. What it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 is that it is not good for man to be alone. 
So in chapter 1, it is established that it is God who sees good. It is God who determines good. God is the source of good. This is good. This is good. This is good. And then we are given a shift in the pattern wherein God points out the first thing that he sees as not being good. And it is that humanity or the human that he has created is alone. We are not made to be alone. It is not good for humans to be alone. And so, we see this, right? Now, you might be thinking, how do we do this practically? Okay, what steps do we take in order to, to make use of these patterns, to spot these patterns and understand them? Kita na natin. Ito na. What we do is we look for repetition. Repeated words, themes, and events. The second step is you look for repetition. Repeated words, themes, and events. The third step, you look for repetition. Repeated words, themes, and events. And then the last step is you look for a shift. Because you often find the emphasis in the shift. And when we spot those repetitions and those shifts, it enriches our reading even more. These patterns are intentional and they serve a purpose. That's why the biblical authors would use them. And two main reasons that we could identify right now for why they did this style of writing is first, in order to identify literary units. Because during this time, there were no chapters yet. There were no verse numbers. Everything was just written per scroll. Um, it wasn't even compiled into one whole book, into one, like, as in soft cover, hardcover book. It was one scroll each. You had a scroll for Genesis, you had a scroll for Exodus, a scroll for Isaiah, a scroll for so on and so forth. And so it was compiled and written in this way so that the people who were reading at the time who did not have the advantage of having chapter numbers and verse numbers could navigate the story easier and remember it better. You see, people in ancient times, their memory was very was very reliable as in because they had to remember everything it's not like us now we have to remember something we just type it down we send it to ourselves on messenger because <laughs> if we, we use that as a notepad diba? or we set an alarm and stuff like that it, it's not like that for them it, it writing was very expensive during that time paper wasn't available in the nearest bookstore there was no nearest bookstore in ancient israelite times and so they had to work on their memory. And this was one of the ways that they remembered by repeating. In the same manner, we have songs today that repeat over and over and it's catchy. We remember it because it repeats over and over. And this repetition, um, it, it's one way of identifying these different units, these different stories to identify where the, the individual stories begin and end as they are part of the bigger story that is being told. And so... The repetition is used. Another reason, aside from identifying these units, is in order to connect these different units together. A good example of this is creation, Noah, and Moses. So these three stories from the Bible, from the beginning of the Bible, what do those three stories have in common? What is the repeated pattern? What is the repeated element in those three stories? Creation, Noah, and Moses. What is repeated in these 
stories. What is repeated is the theme of water. In the creation story, God doesn't just produce water out of his fingertips. No, he separates water. He separates the seas. He separates the waters above from the waters below, and he separates the dry land from the waters. What we find in the very beginning of the story, you can read this for yourself if you don't believe me, is that there is the chaos waters that are that were already there. And what God does is he brings order out of chaos. He brings order from these waters. He brings out the dry land. He brings out separation from these chaos waters that we find at the beginning of the Bible. And so the way God creates is by separating these waters. What do we find in Noah? What we find is the crashing together of waters. So in Genesis, it is mentioned that the waters above were separated from the waters below. In the story of Noah, what we find is that the waters below rise up and the waters above fall down. And so the waters that were separated from creation crash against one another. And this is what causes havoc. This is what causes destruction in the story of Noah. This is why Noah had to create the ark. And what we find here is that this is not just some punishment. It enriches our understanding. Diba? This is not just some random punishment that nainis si Lord, nagalit siya, and so that's why he killed everyone. No, this is, in a, in a way of looking at it, diba? what we are being given is an image of a world that has turned away from the Lord, who is the source of all good and the source of all life and the source of all order. What happens when we turn away from life? Death happens. What happens when we turn away from order? Chaos happens. That is what happens. And so the waters from above and the waters below that come crashing down against each other is an image of what happens when God is distanced from us or when we distance ourselves from the Lord. This is the natural consequence of sin. This is the natural consequence of the fall. Destruction happens. Chaos happens because the order that God introduces in creation to separate the waters above and the waters below and the waters from the dry land comes crashing down again together because the source of order is separated from creation, from us, from human beings. And this is why everything gets destroyed in Noah. It's an act of de-creation, an opposite creation that we find in the story of Noah. And then we go to the story of Moses. What happens to water in the story of Moses? So as Moses and the Israelites were walking out of Egypt, set free from slavery in Egypt, they are chased. They were chased. So Pharaoh changes his mind and starts chasing after the Israelites, wanting to kill them or take them back. And so Moses leads the Israelites where? To a body of water. And what happens in that body of water, the water separates once again. You find the same separation of waters in the beginning, in the creation narrative. Waters above were separated from waters below. Waters were separated from dry land. In the story of Moses, you find waters separated from dry land. And the Israelites pass through in the middle in order to cross the sea. And then after they have crossed the sea, what happens? The waters come crashing down again against each other. And so the, the Egyptians were caught in the crashing of the waters in the same way that humanity was caught in the crashing of the waters in the story of Noah. 
this single image of water, this parallel, this, this design pattern of water that we find in creation and in Noah and in Moses, what we find is that it enriches our perspective. It enriches our understanding of, of the Word of God because Again, the message is tied to the medium. They, these are interrelated elements of communication. And when we begin to identify, see these different, these different patterns, parallels that we find when we read the scriptures, we appreciate the story better. Because we see the intentionality. We see the winks. We see the parallels, the hyperlinks that lead from one story to the other that help enrich our experience of one of the stories that we're reading currently because we relate it with another story and we notice the pattern and we notice the repetition and we notice the difference. Is this helpful? I, I hope it is. And I give much more examples during the Bible Lab. It was easier then because we were we were face-to-face. It's not just a recorded podcast. This could be something that we could continue to talk about as we go forward and um, this year and even maybe in, in the coming years. But I wanted to end this with one last example for us to appreciate this better. One last example. So Moses, who sets the people free from slavery in Egypt, called by the Lord, is... Who leads them from slavery in Egypt to the wilderness and to the promised land? And Moses is, he doesn't make it to the promised land. He gets left behind. He stays behind, rather. And um, the people press on. The next generation of Israelites press on to enter into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Moses speaks to the Israelites. He speaks to the people. And one of the things that he tells them is, there will come a prophet like me and you will listen to him. You will listen to him. Moses was saying this because the Israelites haven't been listening to him. And in fact, that's the reason why they got into so much trouble when they were walking in the wilderness. They were already free from slavery in Egypt. But while they were walking in the wilderness, they got into so much bad stuff because the Israelites' hearts were hard. And so Moses, in this last speech, before he he sends them off to the promised land, he says, There will come someone like me, a prophet like me, and you will listen to him. We are introduced to a whole lot of other characters. We are introduced to Joshua. We are introduced to David. We are introduced to Daniel. And they are similar to Moses in some respects, especially Joshua, who was the closest to Moses. But they weren't quite it. They weren't quite the new Moses that we've been waiting for. Until we get to the book of Matthew in the New Testament. And Matthew talks about the story of Jesus. How does Matthew introduce Jesus? You see these common elements, these parallels. Jesus is born of Mary and Joseph. Joseph travels to a different place out of necessity with his family or with Mary at the time because Jesus wasn't born yet. And then when Jesus was born, they had to run away again because there was a power-hungry king who wanted to kill the the coming Messiah, the coming new ruler, which was Jesus. So there was a power-hungry king. His name was Herod. And he wanted to kill all of the kids, all of the babies in order to, to prevent this coming Messiah which is Jesus. 
Where else do we hear that kind of story? A power-hungry king killing all the kids in order to preserve his power. That same story is the story of the Pharaoh in Exodus. And Moses is the one who is spared. Pharaoh kills all of the Israelite kids. Moses was spared. Herod kills all of the Jewish kids. And Jesus was spared. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus travels where? They travel to Egypt in order to be spared from from Herod. In Moses' case, how was he spared? Well, he finds his way to the Egyptian palace and he is adopted there. And then he grows up. And then Jesus grows up also. And then what do we find? What we find is Jesus being baptized, receiving baptism from John the Baptist. What happens in a baptism? In a baptism, you cross the waters. You get submerged and you come out of the other side. Jesus crosses the waters of baptism. Moses and the Israelites crosses the sea in order to be set free from Pharaoh. We mentioned that a while ago. So Moses and Jesus, they both have a water crossing experience. And then what happens? After Moses and the Israelites cross the sea, they are in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. After Jesus crosses the sea in his baptism, he was in the wilderness. This is where the temptation happens, tempting in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for how long? 40 days. 40 years and 40 days. These are intentional parallels. And what do we find right after that? So as Moses is crossing the, the wilderness with the Israelites, he climbs up to Mount Sinai and receives the commandments from the Lord, which he gives to the Israelites. What does Jesus do after the temptation? He starts preaching. He starts healing. And what we find in Matthew chapter 5 onward, chapter 8, is the sermon where? On the mount. Jesus, in the same manner as Moses, he climbs up a mountain and he gives his teaching to the people in the same way that Moses gives his teaching to the people. These are intentional parallels that we find in the story of Moses and Jesus. And when we see these parallels, we are reminded of what Moses said in Deuteronomy, that there will come a prophet like me and you will listen to him. And Jesus, of course, accomplishes much more than Moses does. And in fact, he says it. He says that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, the prophets including Moses, and the law which was received by Moses. No, Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. This is what we find in Jesus, the fulfillment of what Moses was set out to do. Moses sets his people free from slavery in Egypt. Jesus sets his people free from slavery of sin. And Jesus gives his own life in the process. He doesn't just get left behind like Moses. He offers his own life for the salvation of many. And three days later, he rises up. Because unlike Moses, Jesus defeated death. And this is the movement. This is the community, the family, the communion that we are being invited to today. And these biblical parallels help us appreciate and understand the scriptures, the Bible, better. And I hope this was helpful for you. If you're someone who is thinking of reading the Bible more this year, I hope this was at least 
good insight. I hope the, the, there are some things here that you could practice along. And on a more practical note, uh, I want to recommend some resources. So one of the more obvious ones, the most popular podcast that we have right now is the Bible in a Year podcast by Father Mike Schmitz. And that is a very good guide. He has Jeff Cavins along with him. And that is a very good guide in order to go through the entire scriptures cover to cover throughout the entire year because it's Catholic and it's guided. Another resource that I would recommend if you prefer not to listen and more to read, although you could read the Neman, you said Bible in a year, but if you prefer to read, you could also check out the Read Scripture app. And this was developed in partnership with Bible Project. Bible Project has a video on design patterns that I will link in the description for you to check out more of if you want to study more about um, design patterns. And they had this app before called Read Scripture, which is a, a reading guide. It, it tells you what chapters to read for the day. And um, every beginning of the of the book or of the section of the portion, you have a video overview from Bible Project. And it's very helpful. The thing lang about Bible Project is that they're not Catholic. They're ecumenical in nature. So ecumenical means inter-Christian. So they're not Catholic, which means that the Read Scripture app does not have the seven books, the Uterocanon, that is omitted from the Protestant Bible. Catholic Bibles are different from Protestant Bibles. We could talk about that a different time. I might be opening a kind of worms here, but we can talk about that a different time. But Catholic Bibles are bigger than Protestant Bibles. So those seven books, you could look it up, search it up, and then go through the Read Scripture process and then just read those additional books um, in your own time as well. Or maybe in the in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you could read those books. In fact, that's where they're placed naman talaga. So these are resources that I would recommend. And thank you for listening all the way through. I would like to ask for your support for this show because it takes time, it takes effort for me to do all of these things. And I do it for you to be able to access it, everything for free. You know, you don't have to pay to listen to this podcast. But I want this to be at least an effort for people to for people to get to know God more, for people to get to know Christianity more, Catholicism more. And these are efforts that I do my best to make on a regular basis. And I want to be more regular in it again. And I would like to ask for your help in three ways. There are three ways that you could help this channel out. The first and simplest way is by sharing. Share the episode. Share it on your wall. Share it to someone whom you think might benefit from it. The second way might take more from you. And the second way is by donating. So I have links in the description to Kofi is the one that I'm using right now, ko-fi.com slash not-so-secular. And that is a way for you to donate monetarily so that ako mismo, I could also dedicate more of my time into producing this content. And I am coming up with ways in order to streamline it better, in order to create tiers of giving so that I could also give something back as you are giving to this podcast. Um, more resources and maybe even calls that we could do together exclusive to the patrons, exclusive to the givers who help support this show and make it happen. And there are also some expenses like, you know, the equipment that I use for this show, the microphone, the audio processing stuff, and even the podcast host. These are expenses that come 
um, with producing this show in order to be given for it to be given to people for free. And so if you want to help in this effort, one way that you could do that is by donating to what we are doing here. You can find, again, the links to that in the description. And then the last way that you could help us out here is by praying for us. Like I said, I want to be praying for you and I ask that you pray for me and what I'm doing here and what we are doing here together. I really do hope that 2023 will be kind to you. I really do hope that you hear more of what God wants to speak into your life through scripture, through the church, through your experience, through your prayer. I really do hope that you become more of the kind of person that God is calling you to be this year. Because when you become that kind of person, the person God is calling you to be, the world is all the better for it. And if not the entire world, because sometimes that's hard to see, your world is all the better for it. The people in your world, your family, your friends, your colleagues, the people you work with, the people that you support, and so on and so forth. And um, this is a joint effort that we want to do together. And so, again, thank you very much for listening all the way through. I really do appreciate this, and I look forward to what we're going to do together this year here at Not So Secular. I'll see you in our next episode. Bye!